Welcome to a motion I'll support. I'm so honored. <laughs> this is my dream come true. Did that feel very serious? Like, did you feel like I cut into that real fast? I came in real hot. You were not expecting that. It's awesome. I love it. It's, it's, uh, I've been pretty, um, emotionally and mentally drained. So this is great. Um, and that's for a very real reason. If you could tell the audience, what's your story? You're a doctor. I am. I'm a real doctor <laughs> in real life. Uh, You're a real boy. <laughs> yeah, I made that Indian American dream come true for my parents. Um, but now you were born here, right? Yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in Boston, and then I um, made the great escape to LA in 2018 after I finished medical school. But yeah, I am a I'm a psychiatrist. I work in Los Angeles. Um, I actually am training through the county and USC system. So one can imagine the, the population that we work with. Um, typically a lot of the homeless population, immigrant population, marginalized communities. Um, you know, I think a lot of communities that people are fighting to support right now. And mm -hmm. so it's been very challenging in many ways. Uh, and then I also am the founder and CEO of the Minds Foundation, which is a mental health organization that is essentially trying to bring back empathy and compassion into, you know, the human society so that people anywhere on the mental health spectrum can get the care and support um, that they need from one another and from those of us living on this earth. Totally. No, and you do such an amazing job at that. And I want everyone to know, I'm talking to my favorite person ever, oh Dr. God. Raghu. I don't know how to say your last name. Ap Apasani. You're Italian. You can handle it. <laughs> no, I'm really not. Apasani. But see, I always seem to get it wrong and I get people's names wrongs and I get wrongs. That was not English. I get people's name wrong all the time. And even like really good friends of mine, I just have this thing where my mind goes way faster than my mouth. And so I'm like, blah, 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 blah. and then I sound like an idiot. Alessandra though. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> but now, so you and I met, I think that this is really cool because I've posted about the Minds Foundation before um, on Emotion I'll Support, and I've talked about it in my live Instagrams. But we met through another mutual friend, Britt, who kind of put us together and said, I think you guys should vibe together. You got on a phone call with me and you're like, hey, and I know you had a last minute cancellation, so you can pretend like you didn't, but you totally had a last minute cancellation. And he was like, shit, I need someone to fill in and come on this panel. She's not that experienced yet. And her show isn't out yet, but let's just like, <laughs> let's just like take a chance at a gamble on this. And you asked me to come and be on a panel for the Minds Foundation, which was so amazing because first of all, that was the first time that I really spoke in front of, um, not in front of an audience that I wasn't familiar with it, that I didn't know, but it was more talking about my brand and who I am in a place where nothing had really happened yet. It was all just starting. So I would like to say that was when I put out to the universe, like this is happening and then like explosion. And it was during, I believe, um, was it gay pride at this point? Was it pride when this was, was happening? It was World Mental Health Day month. Well, same thing for me, both the most yeah. important days of the year. Yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah. No, this was it was amazing to have you. I think I had a lot of fun on that panel, and I think that you bring up a good point. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned, you know, working in not just in the U.S. but in India and Nepal and spending some time in Europe and seeing how it doesn't really matter where you are, right? Everyone can be affected by mental health, but two of the things that really, really help people in the process of healing is community. And I think that's something that we try to build, right? You're doing it with the podcast and through your other work. And we try to do it through our events and bringing people together and the power of storytelling, which like naturally as an actress, you do. Um, But it's not only very therapeutic and cathartic for the person sharing their story, but it just allows everyone in the room, right? To not feel alone, that their emotions are not fully them sitting alone in loneliness, but that they can connect with one another and that they're not right. alone in this journey. And you were definitely not, you knew I was a wild card, but you didn't know how much of a wild card I was yeah. going to be. It's true. And I, I came in real strong. I had a lot of, um, you know, I, I, I said a lot and I meant a lot and Um, it just was such an incredible, you have such an incredible foundation that you have created and a safe space for so many different people of different, um, you know, cultures and backgrounds and like mental illness. It's not like you're going in there and going, you have to have this diagnosis to be part of this. There, there's no click. It's just a community and no one cares what your job is. No one cares, you know, where you come from or, or anything. It's kind of just like, it's not even a hippie commune, but it's what I imagine it would be like in the seventies with free love. And you're like, welcome to the minds foundation. Like, yeah, it's like if you had a cult, I would follow, I would totally follow your cult. It's actually kind of funny because, like, now there's pictures out of me with, like, longer hair hanging out, you know, yep. in LA and at, like, just, like, random places. And my friends on the East Coast are like, what the hell are you doing? Are you starting a cult? <laughs> and I'm like, no, man, it's just about community. It's about a unified consciousness. And so when one person shares a story or does something, you contribute to everyone, right? Yeah. And that's what I want people to realize is that we are all in it together. and like. It's mental hygiene. It's not illness. It's mental hygiene. And if we can start framing it that way, people can start getting equipped with the tools. Um, And, you know, I think that will go into a deeper conversation as we keep talking. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, can you, you know, I know you've explained it to me, but things don't obviously stay in my head that long. They're like, because my mind goes a million miles a minute. Um, But (laughs) we could sit here and gossip all day long too, because you and I love a gossip sesh. Um, But what is it, what are you doing with the Minds Foundation in India? Because that's where it started originally, right? Yeah, totally. So it started in India, 2002. 10, actually, right before I was a junior at Wesleyan. Um, The work we do there is very grassroots oriented. So our staff on the ground, they're literally going village to village, door to door, school to school, and they're providing educational support that's tailored to the community. So it's a lot of like getting to know the leadership in the community, figuring out like what mental health conditions are you guys dealing with, right? Because one community might be dealing with depression, another might be dealing with alcohol use issues. And so we tailor educational programming to that. So there's literally sessions going on, discussion groups, door-to-door sessions, conversations. And then we link people to care if they need it. 
Um, and that's the general educational part. The second is capacity building. So we train health workers, teachers, parents, people in the community. We also have now online training modules that are launching to train anyone who wants to be like a peer ambassador. Um, cool. That's going to be really cool. And that, that is actually translating now to Los Angeles real quick, where our goal is actually to, um, you reached out to me and I've had so many people reach out to me during, especially the pandemic being like, Hey, I have a friend who needs help. Where should, where, where should they go? What should they call? And it's like so hard to navigate the system. So we're actually initiating an LA ambassador program where our goal is to train one or two people in each neighborhood of LA to understand the local mental health system and resources, and they'll become a point person. Oh, interesting. So they will be, so, okay, let's use the example. I have a friend in, you know, the Valley. Okay. We'll say the Valley because for people who are around the world, they won't understand. It's a part of Los Angeles. It's like a little town. Um, <laughs> they, right. It's like a city, little mini city within a city. Yeah. So if I wrote you and I was like, Hey, I'm looking for a therapist or I'm in need of someone like kind of in an emergency, but not a super emergency. Mm -hmm. I would, you would say, here's a list of the people who are the ambassadors and representatives of this particular area, contact them and they can help you out. Is that kind of what it's like? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Because it's really I'm so hard. smart that I figured that out. <laughs> it's so hard to find the right resources. And especially when someone's in a crisis or you want to help, but you don't really know what to do. It's hard. Right. And the number of calls and texts I get for help like that is increasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I believe it because I've even myself had so many friends and, and people also that just have reached out to me, um, through, you know, not Instagram, but through like Facebook, like not, sorry, drop something. Um, not through, um, friends, no, sorry, ugh, not through Facebook, like people that are, are fans and listeners of the show. These are like more, um, one degree of separation friends. Like I'll say that that's the best. And because they know that I'm in the mental health world and they know that I have a podcast, they go, oh, well, she must have a million resources. Well, yes, I do have resources and I am aware of um, different organizations and different doctors. And I've even come to you where I'm like, oh shit, like I need your help. Like I don't even know where to start with this, but it would be such a nice, easy, clean, clear thing for me to do and go, hey, this is who I trust. Here's a list and, and go for this and they can be the professionals and point you in the right direction. Yeah, because Los Angeles is huge and socioeconomically, it's very spread out and diverse. And so we need mm -hmm. resources at every level. And I think having one person per neighborhood who's linked to a neighborhood council also and gets that support is going to be very helpful. And what is it like in, uh, first of all, I'm, just, I would do anything to go to India. I think that that is. We're doing you know, it. I don't understand why. We're doing it. Like I'm, can we go during COVID? I don't know. Um, but I, I, I have such a weird connection to India and weird in the sense where I don't know where it comes from. Um, why I have such a connection and my mom has such a connection too. So there must be some sort of past life because we. Well, your mom's this. awesome though. Isn't she the best? Marsha Glow, she's the best. Um, but we have this, like, we're just drawn to India and I've always wanted to go, but I always said, I want to do it right. I don't want to just like Google and be like, where's the hot spots in India to stay? So 
thank you for being in my life and being able to show me these amazing places that in the future I'm going to go to. But what I've always been curious about since I don't know much about India is what is their whole thought behind mental health? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, we have to think about it from a few different angles, right? I think that India is huge, right? It's like 1.2, 1.3 billion people. Massive. So, so that's, that's, that's a huge part of the world, right? It's like one-sixth or one-seventh of the world. Right. Um, in one continent. So we have to think about it in that perspective. And that also means that there's a wide array of educational levels, cultural levels. I mean, it's a country where every 100 miles, there's a different culture and a different language. So mm. when we talk about- Every 100 miles? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know- it's very different. Like there's hundreds yeah, of- Yeah, of course. I mean, of course you just like, you, you, but it makes sense. Like, I mean, you go 150 miles like to Fresno or Bakersfield oh, or something like yeah, that and in California and it's different, you know? Exactly. So we got to think about that. And then you think about like Bombay and Delhi that has like some of the highest number of billionaires in the world and also the most poverty in the world side by side next door to each other. So with that, there's different views of mental health. I've been working there for about 10 years. There's definitely been an increase in terms of people recognizing mental health now, mm -hmm. um, the government recognizing mental health, some celebrities who have come oh, out. Oh, really? So they, there's a new mental health bill that was passed a couple of years ago that actually no longer criminalized suicide because it used uh -huh. to be um, What do you mean criminalized? Like what did they say before? So before if you, you could actually it would be considered a crime if um, you attempted suicide. And what would happen? Like you would go to jail? I don't recall the exact details, but um, I think there was at least a fine or a jail or some type of- Oh my God, that's so traumatizing. Yeah, so it's, it's great that the new bill happened and that's no longer the case. There's also just a rise in the organizations and the support and the helplines that are coming out. So people are recognizing it. Um, especially stress, depression. I think the pandemic of COVID has really, really outlined a lot of these issues, right? Because people mm -hmm. are now working from home. There's kids at home. It's busy households. Um, sleep is completely off. Those who have never dealt with mental health are having symptoms of mental health, like anxiety, sleep disturbances, food appetite. And those that have dealt with it are falling into the symptoms they've had in the past or substance use or increase in alcohol. So there's that. There, now there's an interesting perspective I'm looking at, along with, um, actually with Gabriella Wright, who you briefly mm. met. And yeah. we had, we're trying to kind of dig into um, how was mental health seen at the origins, like from the older scriptures and the Vedic scriptures. Um, and we're really trying to kind of dive into that work and see, you know, because mental health was seen, the mind was seen, consciousness was seen in ancient scriptures in a very sophisticated way um, that I think we've forgotten about. So we need to bring that back. And so um, in a nutshell, to really answer your question. Can you give me, no, but can you give me an example? That's so fascinating. I never even thought about that it would be in ancient scriptures. I mean, you know that, I, I mean, I'm not saying you know, like I, I don't even really know, but I'm just saying like in general, we all know that, you know, when you look back and you look at whether it even be the Bible or the, you know, ancient Egyptians and you read all of these things, you can see now 
little bits and pieces of them talking about mental health or when they talk about certain emperors and you know, you're like, well, I'm bipolar. I know what that is. They're saying that it's rage and they say that it's this, but really that was an undiagnosed bipolar disorder. You know, it's just so interesting now how we are learning so much and we're, we're so, um, we're aware of our environment and our, our mental health and our brain and how it works to then go back and see these ancient things and realize like, wow, we always have had this. So when you say in the ancient scriptures, is there something in specific, like, I'm not asking you to like say it for me, but like, is there anything that you, um, can recall that you remember reading about or seeing that makes you you know, want to go back and really like, you know, dive deep into this? Yeah, you know, so I've been reading a lot of um, some of the Indian philosophers like Krishnamurti, for example, who's more of a contemporary, um, but he does reference a lot of these, these, the Vedas, right? Like the Vig Veda and so forth. And I actually just got a new collection of them to really start diving into it. So I can't really quote stuff, but I think that in general, what it is, is that there are perhaps less distractions of industrialization and urbanization at play that people actually spent more time as a community, right? And Mm. with that, you start to actually embrace emotion and you start to embrace the feelings and understand what it is to be human and that people have various degrees of mental health. And so a lot of these stories that are told in the scriptures kind of play on that. They play on the different emotions of the characters and myths and so forth. Or, and, and I think that that's what we want to pull out is that, like you mentioned, sometimes when you read the Bible or something, they're describing these emperors or whatever with these emotions. So the stories are what we're trying to pull out and how people reacted to them in the storytelling aspect. That's really cool. Yeah. How did you come to even start about this? Was it something that you like randomly fell across? I've thought about it before. And then, you know, I met my friend who, we're working on this together on and and i think that it's something that she had brought up as well um and it kind of just synergized so i I hopefully something comes out of it i mean we're thinking uh something something will come out of it let me say that it's happening um i also think that you know and you know this the way that a lot of psychiatry is done in the west is like we use this dsm manual like diagnostic manual in psychiatry Mm -hmm. which it's a good guide right? Um, Right. This is controversial, but I'm going to say it because I believe in it. It's a good guide, but it really puts people into categories, which I think is not necessarily the most appropriate. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that we we have to really see how people are on the spectrum and treat them accordingly, not just necessarily say like, hey, do you meet five of these seven things? Okay, so you have this label now, right? Gotcha. I, I talk about that with my friend, um, who's another doctor, Dr. David Haggerty, mm-hmm. um, who I told you about from Beauty and the Brain. Oh. And we talk about that all the time as well as that he struggles with that, where because he has he is uh, diagnosed bipolar two, and not two also two as in number two, yes. and um, you know he always says you know it's so hard. There's there's a, B, and C, there's all these different lists of, okay, if you fit, you know, these four check marks, this is where you belong. He's like, but that's not necessarily always true. Like for me, my diagnosis came when I was, what I said, 22-ish is like what I remember. And 
my highs and lows and ups and downs, you know, at first they were like, well, she's feeling depressed and anxious. She has depression. Then she has this, then she has that. So, you know, it's all about learning and through the time you spend with someone and the time you spend with yourself by writing it down that you learn. So ugh, that's my whole thing about that. Yeah. And you, we think about like, how does it really change the way we're going to treat them? Right. Right. Like we treat according to the distress that it's causing somebody. And so you know, I think that um, it's a good guide because it helps have clear communication across providers and it allows the, you know, the client or the patient to have something to really be like, oh, okay, this is what it is. But um, I, I would just want people to understand that like mental health is a spectrum and not forget mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I do. I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, well, what I wanted to get into as well is I think it's so fascinating all the, um, the, just the background of India and, and what you're doing uh, in India with the Minds Foundation, what you're doing here. But like you're nine to five, and by nine to five, I mean like your 23 hour a day job as being a psychiatrist. And what I wanted to talk about is what right now, obviously, we're living in a world where we're doing everything remotely. We're here in COVID, all this shit is going down, okay, for lack of a better word. Yeah. You are in the thick of it all by not only being in a hospital, but you are in a, a, a you know a very serious hospital. You are dealing with um, all sorts of humans that are having such tough, like terrible experiences in their lives. What is is there any hope that you see when um, when you go into the hospital and you treat these people, like seeing the the you know the with the beginning of where they start to then towards the end of them getting better? Like, do you see mental health kind of, I'm trying to word this like in a normal, like smart way and it's not coming out. It's like rambling, but what else to do? Um, yeah, um, yeah. No, but I, I want to know, like, do you see people who come in here who don't believe that it's mental health, whether it be, you know, addiction or whether it be homelessness, like, do you see some sort of change? Is there any sort of hope that, that you are seeing? Mm. Or does hope it feel impossible? Is, hope is a very powerful word, my friend. Um, I like it though. And so, yeah, here's the thing. It's a really tough hospital. And when I say mental health is a spectrum, we have people who, you know, like high functioning, like you and me, right? right? I have anxiety. Right. You have your diagnosis. Like we're still having very functional lives and are successful. Right. Um, but there's a whole other side of that that is not touched by Instagram campaigns and billboards and stuff. And that's like severe mental illness layered upon trauma, layered upon substance use, layered upon no support from anyone, no family. Right. Mm. And we, we see them at our hospital and do they like, sometimes they're just way too disorganized. They don't have any insight into what's going on. And in terms of hope for that, it's, do I have hope? for them being able to go out and function on their own? Not necessarily, but do I have hope that we can get them to a safe place where they have staff to help them and they can lead some type of quality life? Yes, and we try to do that and we try to do as much as we can for them. Now on the flip side of that, we do have patients who come in and you look at the original holds or how they came in and it's like, whoa, this person was like right. very sick. 
And then you see them turn around within a week or two, right? When they get the treatment and they're able to go home and they're able to, you know, go and work and things like that. So it is, again, it comes back to this whole thing being a spectrum and like people are on that and, and they understand, they take their illness and their diagnosis into their own hands and they really empower themselves. And at the end of the day, that's really what we need to do is empower people with the knowledge so they feel like they're a part of the decision and that it doesn't become a very paternalistic thing. Because a lot of the population we deal with that is homeless and very sick, it's easy to become very paternalistic and say, this person's really not going to understand what's going on. We just got to keep them safe. Um, so I do keep a lot of hope in place. And a lot of that is because I work on minds and it has a larger macro level approach to care and to prevention of mental health. Are we seeing, I'll use Los Angeles because this is your home base, but are, are, is the city of Los Angeles seeing more mental health issues or are they now kind of, are they kind of more aware of mental health now and now it's more specific where you can you can you know zoom in on it and kind of know what's going on and not just be because i know like when i was growing up right when you saw someone was homeless or they were speaking to themselves you would you know people would always brush it off i mean not me and not my family because we were crazy in ourselves um <laughs> you know people would brush it off and be like oh they're crazy they're on drugs but you know we all know that there's mental health and mental health is the reason why you do drugs, it's to numb your system. It's, you know, alcohol, it's the same thing. It's just numbing your body like constantly. But now we're in a place where we're aware and everyone's a little more enlightened about mental health and it's talked about more. Do you think that we're able to not control, but do you think that there's a way where you can help people out more than you could say 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with society actually realizing um, that mental health is a thing and slowly, slowly, slowly gaining some insight into what that means. Um, one thing I would say the downside uh, of all of these campaigns and things is, uh, is that people are getting a very specific perspective of mental health. And it's usually the depression, the anxiety and things like that. It's not really the severe mental illness part. And so that's why I really think it's important to make sure that as we, as these campaigns go out and the awareness rate is raised, that people understand that this is like a, a lot bigger than we think. Um, at Los Angeles actually has either the first or the second largest mental health budget in the country, I believe. Really? Oh, I so, didn't know that. Yeah, so in fact, a lot of people um, come to Los Angeles who have mental health issues, whether they're kind of sent here from other states or it's a very attractive like, city. Like, you mean in the, in the, like, kind of homeless population or you're just saying in general they come here? Well, I would say in no. general, but definitely the homeless population. There's a lot of transient right. movement. Um, that's also why we have a large homeless population. Like, L.A. is a very attractive city for many reasons, right? Um, so... Yeah, yeah. We, we are seeing, I would say there is a rise in mental health. Um, there, but that's globally right now, not just in Los yeah. Angeles. I believe there was a statistic that like there's been a 400% increase in alcohol use as well. Um, and so- Oh people, my gosh. Yeah, so you like bring up this whole numbing self-medication thing. Like it's a thing and you're sitting at home, you might be unemployed, you don't know what's going, like 
it's very easy to fall into these or revert back into these patterns. Um, and it's, yeah. and I was telling you, like, I, I mean, I haven't been drinking at all or using substances, but, uh, cause when I moved to Los Angeles, for some reason, I was no longer really desiring a drink. Um, <laughs> because I'm just like high off being in Cause you came in real hot with your long hair and you're like, I don't yeah, need a cocktail. Yeah. I can just find the ladies this way. Yeah. Nope. And you know, like we yeah. talked about too, um, I, I've been having a lot of this anxiety at baseline and that's increasing and increasing and my sleep's been totally off for like weeks. So it is affecting everyone and there is a rise in it. But one thing that is clear is that we've had an epidemic or a pandemic of mental health in place already. The conversation was already happening. Mm -hmm. This COVID pandemic has really just brought it out. Now, with the more recent current events of the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement, it's really important for people to understand the effect of racial discrimination and discrimination in general on chronic stress. 150%. You are someone who is so worldly and knows so many different cultures and so much you know, information because you're a doctor. So yeah. I just want to hear it all from you. I want to take it out of your brain. Yeah, and one thing I'll say is that I've had a few patients, particularly this week, actually, that they are, they have a lot of trauma, okay? They have, and, and being homeless, especially as a woman, being on Skid Row, there's a lot of exposure to trauma. Um, there's a lot of, of, there's a lot of rape, there's a lot of sexual trauma, physical traumas, drugs. So I, there's fear to go back and get discharged from the hospital. And it's very challenging. And something that's been layered on that now is this police brutality and the fear of being misunderstood or stigmatized against or discriminated against or profiled, leading to something that's even more traumatic. And, you know, I think, I don't know if you and I chatted, but I might have about, you know, I, I mean, I faced racial discrimination throughout my life. That's very different. It's not to this extreme. It's much more subtle stuff. And I faced a very bad experience with an officer in West Hollywood like a couple of weeks ago. And it was just like, threw me off, right? So one thing to really state to people is that we think of trauma as something very overt as an assault or, you know, an abuse or something physical, but subtle trauma is something that can just be as damaging. Um, and it's experienced in so many ways in institutions and the language we use, and even just like very simple cultural stereotypes that we have. Um, and so I know that people are protesting and hopefully they're staying safe because COVID is still a thing. I uh, wore a mask. I had my Purell. I, you know, I, I was very good. So um, just a reminder to people, but it's important to think about the language that we're using, not just the actions that we're taking. Um, Interesting. And what would be the language that you recommend and the language that's not... Um, or that, for lack of a better word, is traumatic. See, so that's an area where I'm personally just like you. I'm trying to learn more. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to yeah. learn more. And I, I, I don't know, but I would give it to the leaders in that community to learn from um, and, and just be supportive as much as possible. And, you know, there, there are some really, really good resources being pumped out, um, being posted online about how we can support the community. But I think that 
getting the messaging from leaders in that community. And actually, I think our role as not being black individuals ourselves is to just support that. Um, and so let's pick up Absolutely. on Absolutely. And it's about. Questions. Yeah. And it's about being loud and being a voice. You know, um, I'm like the nutcase that's been driving around my car and I have signs scotch taped. You saw I signed scotch taped on my car, everyone. And they're like half fallen off and I'm like trying to fix it. But like the most important sign that I saw, um, which sticks with me as the number one I'm taking from this is white silence is violence. And you know, I never, ever, ever really sat and thought about that for a second. And it's insanity that I never thought about that because this is something that the black community thinks about all the time, right? This is their life. Um, And you know, another thing, just to sidetrack, another thing that with the whole mental health thing is, Um, you know, when you look at me, you don't go, oh, she's bipolar. She's crazy. She suffers from A, B, and C, right? So if you would put me, you know, next to another another one of my friends who, you know, um, like another, a a black girl, right? Okay. She and I are sitting next to each other. You look at the two of us and you go, I don't think there's any mental health. We may both be bipolar, but things are going to be looked at differently, right? Just based on our skin tone. So what I learned, I think from all of this, like getting back to the white silence is violence and why anti-racists have to be so fucking loud because racists are so loud as well. And so we can be louder than them and smarter and better than them. Just saying. Um, But what I learned is it, it was so funny. Some really like shitty fucked up things happened from not my family personally, but it was family through marriage. I'll just say that way. Right. Okay. So it's not, it's not mine through marriage. Someone else's that I didn't meet and I didn't even know existed, but whatever. I'm not going to go neither here nor there in the drama, but the person, um, I, I made a comment and I was like, Oh, I'm bipolar and unmedicated. Try me because they were trying to egg me on. They were being rude and sexist and all this stuff. And this, this asshole's response was, well, do you have papers to prove that you're bipolar? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> what Very- do you mean do I have papers? This is the, you are the stupidest fucking human being I've ever met in my life. But regardless, it was the first time in my life that I ever felt like I was a problem and it was because it was something that I was born with. And I never felt that before. And I never felt the need to like, I've always had bullies that have made fun of me. I've always had, you know, people that, you know, say, oh, you're ugly or you need uh, Botox and you got wrinkles. I get those. Someone said to me, oh, you should get a lobotomy to fix your brain. That happened a couple of weeks ago. That was really funny. Um, <laughs> but like, I had never well, had someone. You're like 18. So. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But you know, it. but I, I, there's been little digs here and there and I'm like, Ugh, brush it off. It always sucks and it always, you know, hurts, but you just have to like chew it up and spit it out. And like, that's it. But it was the first time that when someone was being so hurtful and so cruel about my mental health and who I am not knowing who I was just because they, you know, knew that I was bipolar and were judging completely everything on that. A stranger. It was the first time where I'm like, wow, I didn't feel 
I, I never, I never will. And I want on the record, I will never understand racism. I will never understand what my black friends and family go through ever in my entire life. But there was a part of me that felt this like irky feeling. And I'm like, oh, someone's judging me based on something that's wrong with me that I was born with. And I'm like, yeah. that is one one hundredth million of what's going on in the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And it just angered me and it enraged me so much that I went just like on another level. Um, and then the guy goes, oh, so you're a bitch also. And my response was, no, I'm actually a cunt. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, also, but it it's, was... it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it's like, even me, you know, I'm, I'm technically a minority, even though we make up like a huge chunk of the world, but right, they consider right. South Asians to be like a model minority, whatever that right. means, right? And so, within our own culture, and Hassan Minaj did an amazing bit on this, there's a lot of racism towards other races. And we have to have the conversation within ourselves and start supporting as well. But for me, it's like, you know, I grew up in a pretty middle-class family. I went to a, a public high school that was half white, half Hispanic. And because of where I grew up and because of the classes I was in, I tended to be around white people. And then I went to like a super expensive private liberal arts college that was pretty white. And then I was a doctor. And so I ended up being almost like, I'll admit it, in a position of privilege, right? And sometimes it's, I forget that. And then I had this encounter with an officer in West Hollywood who's up in my face saying pretty inappropriate things. And I was like, I basically went into shock mode and shut down. And I was like, oh, shit, it. wait a second. Like, I still am a minority and I'm at risk of these things. And I've had small racist things said here and there, right? Like, that I can brush off and it's whatever. I'm very passive about it. But this was like, shit, okay, this is real. This is a thing. And this is only a fraction of what other people are facing. Right, right. Yeah. And um, it's been interesting. And this whole process also, like, not to dig it too far, but it also made me think about, um, like, values in a relationship and, like, even dating someone who's not the same race as me and is from a different community who is, and I, and I have, and I think about how people have interacted with me, for example, like if I'm dating someone who's white versus Indian or black or Asian or whatever, like there, and there's like very subtle things that can happen and you notice it. And like, it's weird that my mind kind of went to that to think about, but these things all came up and I thought about like, who are my friends? Oh, Everyone who's on the West side for some reason is like white and like <laughs> European doesn't count as like diversity. So no, you know, no. So, so it's Italians just like all, do not count these, as diversity. Things count. And then I worked down at in Compton an inpatient site below the, the 10, right. And it's like a totally different world. And my friends who grew mm -hmm. up in Beverly Hills, like don't even know. So they wouldn't even know how to get there. There's like these systemic things that are, feeding into the problem. Have you seen a lot of um, people come in recently into the hospital since, um, not just for COVID, but specifically in the past like two weeks because of, of the protests and everything going on? Because I know I, I have a lot of friends who have been so um, triggered and, and traumatized by it and not realizing, like we were saying, where, you know, it's little things, it's one word that you wouldn't 
you wouldn't remember that was something that your abusive father said to you, or that was something that, you know, you remembered your, you know, I don't know, your teacher said to you and like the words we were talking about vocabulary, we were talking about the, you know, just create like getting trauma to be created. I feel like it's so much easier right now with all these protests and everything going on and just the hurt and anger and frustration just in general, even if you're sitting at home and watching TV, it's like, it's like, you just want to like scream. Like, have you seen more people come in? So I'm not, I actually haven't been working in the psychiatric ER, but I know that there is a slight rise. I mean, it's always busy, right? Um, what I'll say from my experience of talking to people is that those that I have been triggered, a lot of them are staying away from the larger protests and kind of trying to address it in their own way because it can be very triggering. And that's also something that people need to be aware of is that the language used in the movement, it's really powerful. And it, when it is triggering, it adds to the chronic trauma that someone already has. And so there's no right answer in how to do this other than just keep, I don't know, just stay open to learning and make sure that we're supportive for people who are maybe for one reason or another or not engaging in protests and not to shame them for not engaging and not supporting, but to understand like, actually maybe they need some, they need some support from me right. for, for something. That's that might very be. evolved and sweet of you. Well, it's, you know what I mean? Like, oh, Siri, oh, sorry. Siri was just talking. That was so strange. Uh, <laughs> it's true, Siri, though. I stop. think um, just because someone's not jumping on the bandwagon and supporting doesn't mean that they don't support it. It couldn't mean that it's, it's too much for them. It could be the COVID thing and it's a health risk and they don't want to do it. Or it could be that it's triggering for them because, like, you know this, mental health, like, the most powerful thing we can really do to support mental health for people is basically just being present and being an active listener right and the words that we use what would you give advice to someone who is bipolar like is there anything that i'm going to use me as an example like is there anything that you know when you have a a client or a whatever <laughs> what is it when you have a whatever. You have someone, yeah. what is it? A client, right? That's patient. a patient. Yeah. Oh my God. You and your fancy doctor. <laughs> I know. My to- brain has not been working today. Okay. So just like- There's a difference between coaching being a coach and a psychiatrist though. Okay. Well, is there anything that you would recommend to me specifically? Oh yeah. We should get sushi and just hang out. Yeah, but <laughs> no, um, I would say that, you know, okay, first of all, you're someone who's kind you're much more insightful and you're aware of when you are having symptoms and things like that. Um, and during this period, you know, I've had friends sort of destabilize on things because the structure is just not there that we tend to have. And with mental health, a lot of what keeps people in the healing process and doing well is structure and support. So I would say that make sure that you continue to have a very strong social structure and network of community that you can rely on. And you have that treat, you have that like plan in place that when you start feeling off, you can reach out for help. And that's, Oh, I really like that. It's like staying communication. What would you say? Like from your professional point of view, I've had a lot of people in my life specifically through this, you know, 
basically isolation for a lot of them because they're, you know, some people are not in relationships. Some people don't have roommates. You know, it's been a form of isolation and they've had to sit there and think. And like we talked about earlier, really sit with their thoughts. And that is never um, an easy thing, especially for people who are not um, in quote out of quote, you know, have medical disorders or mental disorders, you know, and they, they learn new things. If people are having hard times and you can see it, you know, sometimes there's nothing worse than someone saying to you, like, are you okay? Is there anything I can do for you? You know, sometimes that's the worst thing, or at least for me, that's like the worst. It's like, leave me the fuck alone. Like I'm going through issues and you'll never understand. But <laughs> that being said, is there something that you recommend to family and friends um, who are, you know, either dealing with someone who is newly mentally diagnosed with something or that thinks something may be wrong and they don't want to be like, you need to go to a doctor, but try to like steer them in the right direction? Sure. So obviously if it's something more of an acute crisis, right, you, you got to take control and get them the help they need immediately. Right. Right, so call 911, get a psyche eval, get them to a hospital. Um, but for other things that are not as severe and someone's just struggling, the thing that I would say is that, yeah, you know, checking in, being like, hey, are you okay? But that, that sometimes I understand what you're saying. It can come off like, oh, like poor you, let me come and rescue you, which no one really wants, right? So sometimes the way that I do it is that, listen, it seems like you're struggling through something and I can totally understand there's a lot of things going on right now. I'm here to listen. I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you however you need and just know that I'm available. And I think sending that message out as a reminder consistently to someone, they will respond to you when they're ready and them knowing that you're there and you're available. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. What is our next move in our life? Like, what are our plans? What's the story of Ragu and Alessandra? <laughs> we have a lot. <laughs> um, there was a pause there, and I know it was because of the Zoom, but there was enough of a pause where I was like, um, okay, I guess there is no uh, story for us. Like, no, here's uh, our story. Okay, like, so here's uh, with everything going on, I stay very um, out of the political stuff. A friend of mine recently really pushed me to say, what would you say? And this is part of the story. And I think you're going to be, part, right? Is that I think the one answer to literally everything going on right now is a simple term. It's reimagining preschool. Okay. Oh. And so what I mean by that is that a lot of what's happening now with violence and aggression and agitation and uncontrolled emotions is a result of the lack of and none of, of no mental health education from an early age on through our educational system. So if we are able to start in preschool and start educating people with the toolkit to build resilience over time, when they start facing emotional obstacles, or obstacles at work or in their life, they are they got it in their back pocket, the toolkit for mental wellness, for resiliency, and they're able to start facing these obstacles in a healthy way. And so that's the answer, and that's what needs to be funded. 
because a lot of the results of these current events is because of people not being able to control and regulate themselves. Right. Um, right. And that's part of our journey, but also we got a lot of ideas. I mean, we have lots of ideas, lots of fun things. Wait, now that we started, I, I, we're like wrapping it up, but I, I want to just really quickly, do you see any change in preschools and young development? Have there been new things? Like I know, right, the, it's very sweet. I loved what they did. Um, uh, Sesame Street did the CNN oh, town yeah. hall for COVID. And it, it was so cute and so sweet. And then they did one on racism. And like, it literally, I was crying the whole time because even though it's for children, you still feel that like nostalgia and that like love for it, right? And understanding and just, you almost look and you feel, I felt myself, I felt so inspired because I'm like, look at these little babies that they're molding their brains with positivity, with love, um, to, to be compassionate, to have empathy. Mm-hmm. And I was very blessed and, and very privileged to come from a, you know, family and specifically my mom who, you know, raised me to know of issues, whether it was, you know, um, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community, I knew at a very young age, like I didn't think that that was strange at all that men and men were together, women or women together. I didn't know any difference. (laughs) I think I was like, okay, you know, I was very well educated. I mean, as much as I, as she was able to, and I never will fully understand, but I did, but I did understand black culture, Asian culture, Indian culture. I knew cultures. I was world traveled. I had so many different eclectic group of friends. You know, mm-hmm. I had older friends, I had younger friends, but do you see, you know, I, cause I see people my age who just don't get it. You know, they don't get it and they were raised not to get it. Um, do you see that change? Like, do you have children that come in or parents that have children that come in and you see the toolkit that's, that's what we're talking about to be there? Yeah, it's, it is really challenging. I don't work with as many children as I, as I did before. Um, one thing I'll say, well, <laughs> first of all, I think you probably would have liked the town hall better if it was Mickey Mouse doing it. But hundred percent. Don't get me started. <laughs> of course, if it was Disney, I would have freaked out. But, um, you, you know, there are some amazing people doing work on this. Um, there is pathways to empower that's working with the New York state school districts to kind of start integrating in tools of neuroscience and mental health education in a very visual way. Um, a very good friend of mine, um, Punacha, he's, his thing's the warrior monk. On Instagram, oh yeah, he's going to be releasing this amazing book, actually, and the characters are actually very diverse, and it ex- talks about resilience and mental health at a young age. Um, Minds is actually partnering up is has partnered up with Your Mom Cares, another organization um, that was started by Jonah Hill and Adam Levine's mothers, and we're doing a session on Wednesday, the seventeenth. And the topic is how to have difficult conversations about current events with your children right. or with children rather, because we all interact with children, even if we don't have our own. So there's going to be a whole series of this coming out um, that we're launching um, around this because it is challenging and the toolkits are not 
they're there for those who are going to, you know, like private schools, like Harvard Westlake people or Brentwood or whatever. The privilege. Right. But they're not necessarily there in like LAUSD. And that's where we need to put it in. I do understand that teachers are already very overburdened, but maybe this is another reason that they need to be funded more. Um, But this is a toolkit that really needs to be put in place. And the um, America needs to start looking at its problems, not just healthcare and mental health, but its problems in general from a very preventative approach and not a reactive approach. Hmm. Yeah. So this falls into that category. Um, there are small changes happening, but it's not, it's not enough right now. Can I ask you my final question that I ask everyone? You can ask anything. Okay. <laughs> um, what makes you get up in the morning and continue on with your life? Anxiety. <laughs> um, that is the best answer that I've ever gotten. Yeah, really. I mean, uh, that's, that is actually probably the honest answer, especially in the past. I uh, want honest. I totally want honest. In the past couple of months. But, um, you know, the, the, the podcast answer, you know, is. Uh, <laughs> no, I want honest. No, it's, 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 it's anxiety. I think that um, that's really what keeps, it's, but it's a good, sometimes it's, a, it's primarily a good anxiety of like, I got to like get back. There's so much good stuff happening. Awesome projects. Like mine's is doing a lot. These other side projects are doing a lot. Like I'm going to be on this podcast with Alexander today. I got like so much going on. Yeah. There's stuff to look forward to that gets me up. But at a, at a real level, it's that, um, I've been like seeking happiness for a long time. And I realized, uh, in the past year or two that, that's not how I should approach it. I should approach it by trying to do things and expose my thing, expose myself to things that bring me a lot of meaning. I just wanted um, to say, you said expose my thing and I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> you got to edit that out. What I'm trying to say is that- Are I you kidding me? That was so funny. I have to expose myself to opportunities- New things, yes. And things that make, bring meaning into my life and that happiness will follow that. And that's led me to meet amazing people and makes me really get up every day and be like, it's a new day. It's, it's a new time for me to try to work on something and leave an impact in the world. And so that's really, that's what drives me more regularly. But I think that more recently, my anxiety is really what's keeping me going. Um, and I'm, I do need to find a healthier balance of that, but that's the honest answer. And that's like, yeah, but right now that's great right now, if it's working for you and it's getting you up and it's getting you to help people in this moment, that's great. And then you can take care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but I would encourage people that you got to take care of, take care of yourself first and then take care of others. Right. It's kind of like a job, but. Well, we haven't, your job. On, we haven't been on a plane in a while, but it's kind of like that, like, put your mask on first before assisting others, right? Because yeah. right now, everything that's going on, we're basically throwing gasoline onto a wildfire. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. why I said, well, let's fight it, because I need this energy. <laughs> <laughs> um. And thanks, everyone should uh, know that you came to my birthday and you surprised me. Oh, my God, that was and, awesome. 
it was the most magical um, quarantine birthday I could have asked for. And so Mickey Mouse showed thanks. up. Mickey Mouse showed up at a six foot safe distance. Um, he social distanced with us and we social distance danced. Um, and it was like the best happy hour, literally. It was only an hour and you got to come in and out. Um, but I had so much fun and I can't thank you enough. And I just look forward to our future of working together and changing things. And you just changed so many, so many people's lives and you've changed my life and you've changed Sturgis's life. And we just adore you and love you. And no, I love both of you. And you know, I'm, I'm so glad we synced up and like, I had so much fun on that panel. I had so much fun on this podcast. I think we have so much to do and yeah. uh, let's and do so it. And so much fun. We live and like so 10 fun. minutes away from each other. So this is yeah. gonna happen. <laughs> this is gonna happen. All right, well, thank you so much. Emotion. Al. Support.